the incomparable. Number 293, March 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We are here uh, to convene another uh, edition of our comic book club. We're going to talk about The Wicked and the Divine by Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey, published by Image Comics. We're going to be delving into the first two trades. Uh, we'll blow the spoiler horn before we get into a lot of detail about them so you can run away. There, there are three trade paperbacks available, so you can. Uh, we like uh, in our book club to make it so that you can go out and buy a, uh, a trade paperback or two and have a good uh, reading experience without requiring you to read like 800 issues of something. Uh, anyway, joining me to talk about The Wicked and the Divine, I uh, I have some excellent members of Comic Book Club this time. Lisa Schmeiser, as always. Hello. Hi. It's, I'm so glad we're doing this. Uh, it's, good, it's good to have the Comic Book Club back in session. Mm-hmm. Tony Sindelar is out there. Hi, Tony. Hello, nerds. Ah, uh, we got a Hello Nerds from Tony. It's very good. That's what some people want for some reason. <laughs> a more new uh, comic book reader, but she's back for more comic book club action. It's Aline Sims. Welcome back to the comic book club. Hi. I need a catchphrase. I need to, I need to workshop that later. Yeah. I hear Hello Nerds is sweeping the nation, so... I've heard that, but I... I, I feel like that's already got a strong brand association. That's probably it true. It does. It's true. <laughs> I'm very litigious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's got the backing of the Church of Batman behind him, too, so you got to be mm-hmm. careful there. Ooh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And also joining us, Shannon Southerth. Hello. Hola, frikis. Welcome back to the comic book club. Thank you. Um, it wasn't that long ago. Actually, as the as the recordings go, it was very long ago that we were we were talking about Ms. Marvel, but uh, that episode didn't post too long ago. So uh, it seems to the listeners like we we were just here like a month ago. Um, but so we're back. So this is Image Comics, uh, The Wicked and the Divine. This is a really interesting series. Uh, Wikipedia tells me it's largely influenced by pop music. Okay, good. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and ancient religions. And, well, that, mm-hmm. that's it, right? So the idea here is that is that there are these gods who are reincarnated, um, and they live for a couple of years, and then they die, and they go away for ninety years, and it and it uh, it repeats. And so we are introduced to some, but not all, at first, of the twelve people in the pantheon of reincarnated gods. Um, and then there's a there's a uh, we learn about the system the the they call the. Uh, the, what is it the 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 recurrence where they they live and then they die um, they discover who they are sort of as teenagers or thereabouts um, thinking they're normal people up until then and then they're sort of picked and added to the, the the pantheon and then they live for a couple of years and then they die they're told what is it they will lo- some will love you some will hate you you'll be dead within two years and uh, and and so Full that's disclosure. that's part of the story and you get that up front and then there's also a kind of motivating plot thread that begins with some uh, some uh, deaths of people and people being framed potentially for murder. Uh, so there's a mystery at its heart, which actually remind reminded me a little bit of uh, of Watchmen a little bit in that there's there's a rich world, but there's also kind of a motivating uh, d- detective plot essentially at the center of it, which I think is kind of interesting. Uh, before we get into the plot, though. Um, and blow the spoiler horn. I wanted to see if any of you had some uh, some kind of uh, big thoughts about what what this what this uh, the story is and uh, and what makes it interesting. I will be honest and say up front that one of the things that sort of kept me going reading this was actually looking at the pretty pretty art. And mm. usually it's the other way mm. for me. Usually it's the story that grabs me. And sometimes the art's great. And sometimes I sort of grit my teeth because I'm not enjoying the art, but keep going because of the story. And this time it was a bit the opposite. I felt like I was having to juggle a whole lot of characters all of a sudden. Um, but they were very pretty to look at. So I kept reading. <laughs> I, I, I agree with that. Um, it's gorgeous. I read it on my iPad so I didn't have to deal with like pesky page lines in the way and um it, it's just like i found myself just stopping and staring at some of some of the the pages like the full pages because they were just um gorgeous and so artfully done like um one of the early pages is kind of our, our our main character in an audience um in a in a performer on stage i'm trying not to be spoilery and and just the way that they illustrated that like you could see like you could see her but it wasn't like 
they they put a spotlight on her and it was just beautiful beautiful art i had to read it a couple of times because i was really confused i had um as with most things with the incomparable i just kind of dive in i'm like yeah i'll do that and i kind of dive in and do it and i don't have any expectations going in so i i didn't know what the pretext was i didn't know like i i had no knowledge and so i was like i have no idea what's happening um so I don't know if you're one of those readers and you're like, this is really, I have no clue. Go through and read it again because it's worth it a second and third time. Um, and uh, there's a little bit at the end. So I bought mine on Comixology. Um, mm-hmm. So they have kind of that that back material and they included kind of their promotional materials, which which I could have used at the front of the book and think I would have um, been on board faster. So if you've got like the first volume um, go read the back of the book and then circle around again because um, I found that really helpful after I found it. Yeah, similarly, I, I actually went hunting online this afternoon and evening looking for annotations. Like, you know, like my Sandman mm-hmm. experience was I loved Sandman, but once mm-hmm. I found annotations that explained the things I didn't get, I loved it even more. Yeah. So sure. I went yes. looking and unfortunately there's no, no unified, nobody's doing like a really thorough yeah. unified annotations yet. I found a couple of tumblers that have done some of the issues and that helped because especially uh, references to um, the London geography. This is set in England. Um, there were some things that I didn't pick up on just because I've never been there yet. I, w- I, was, I went looking for that too. I, I remember reading uh, <laughs> Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and there's this uh-huh. website that has like the obsessive yes. mm-hmm. like panel by panel level mm-hmm. like autopsy of what's in there. And I was looking for that for this. There's also one for ge- for kingdom come that yeah. is um meticulous panel by panel yeah there's a good and watchman I, one too yeah and, and, and i have and from I, hell that that yeah. demands the annotations practically mm-hmm. and i have to admit like shannon like the first time the first time i read through this um i bought the trade the paper trades because i i do like being able to stick my thumb at like one part of the book and flip forward and flip backwards which is what i found myself doing a lot with the title pages that uh have the the title pages have like the little uh you know the circle of symbols the title 12 of circles of the pantheon and i found myself flipping back and forth to figure out okay this what symbol is this what's this i'm trying to match them up with characters and, and going mm-hmm. back and forth like, I did and then i pulled out my phone and began googling for annotations and tumblr posts and things like that because it's so it's so deep that way on my second read through I, I i was reading the graphic of uh, the trades and i had my phone with wikipedia open to look up like all the the, the god names because i was like there's clearly stuff in here that maybe I'm supposed to get that like or at least characters in it are getting and I am not getting. Shannon, I'm so glad you brought up Sandman too because it was like that like the first time you read Sandman you can read it by itself and you're like oh wow this is pretty cool and then you go back and you read it with annotations or with knowledge of all the characters he's bringing in and the mythology that he's begun to reference even casually and throw away and I like with Sandman I'm like oh my god the depth and the thought that went into that and this has a really similar feel because as, as you're going through the beautiful, beautiful art to see, you know, the character they've chosen to make look like Rihanna, uh, Rihanna, the one that they've chosen to make a David Bowie pastiche, the one that they've chosen as a Tori Amos um, knockoff, uh, you know, and, and you figure, okay, this is all the baggage that those pop stars bring into it. And then you combine it with the, the de- de- deities are supposed to represent. And it's just so smart. And um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good word. Now, to be fair, I think they give us just enough in the story without annotations. I mean, you Mm -hmm. get just (laughs) enough to at least you can sort of place what's going on. And they try to make the connections for you as far as like, you know, certain deities representing certain concepts that are important to the mystery, for example. But yeah, if yeah, if you read it through the first time and then go back the second time with some kind of support, some kind of Mm -hmm. research, it really it, it really does make it a lot better. This book series also strikes me as sort of the other side of the coin to the other series that McKelvey and and Gillen have done, which is Phonogram. Um, and the premise behind that series is that there are a group of formerly young people in Britain. And I say formerly young people because they were young during the Brit pop explosion of the 90s. And during that period, they discovered that they were phonomancers, i.e. people who could use magic if they tapped into music in a very specific way. And there's... And the phonogram talks about music as a way of channeling the the divine and changing reality. And this series is about fandom as a way of being changed by the divine and then going out and changing reality around you. 
And I thought, okay, they're, they're, they're mining the same thematic territory. They're just coming at it from a completely different angle. And so it's kind of enjoyable to read the series back to back to, to, to take a look at the different approaches and see what's the same, which is that the creators have this unshakable conviction that music is, is really a force above and beyond. It may be created or channeled by humans, but they seem to regard music as something that like exists as its own separate, almost magical entity. And then they take the reactions that people have to music very, very seriously. Like they really get the idea of what it means to lose yourself in a creative work and to find yourself in the process of losing yourself. And and I really enjoy that about this, both this book and phonogram. Let's take a brief break to talk about something that's not in the Pantheon, although maybe it's in my personal Pantheon, because I sleep on it every night. It's Casper mattresses. Yes, you guessed it. Casper mattresses are obsessively engineered American-made mattresses. They're available at a shockingly fair price, and now you can get $50 off any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash Snell and using code Snell at checkout. We all spend about a third of our lives sleeping, some a little bit less, some a little bit more, but really... You would go insane if you didn't sleep. So let's make sure you sleep on a good mattress so that you feel refreshed and active in the morning. Casper has two different technologies that they put together for better nights and brighter days. There's latex foam and memory foam. The latex foam gives it a really pleasant feeling on the top. Um, and the memory foam, you've got support underneath. They call it just the right sink, just the right bounce. My old bed felt like a trampoline. I'd sit on it and the cat would be ejected from the other side of the bed. This new bed, it is really nice. I've been using it for more than a year. Uh, it's a Casper mattress and it is really great. They've got a risk-free trial and return policy. So if you don't like it, I can't imagine that, but if you don't like it, you basically say, hey, Casper, take this away and they give you your money back. And you can do that not just for a week or a month, but for up to 100 days. And it comes to you in a box. It's delivered straight to your door from, uh, from I think it's UPS, doesn't really matter. A parcel service delivery person will bring it to your door. You open it up, it expands to its full size. And if you don't like it, you can send it back. They will take it away. At a store, you might lay down for a minute or two and a salesperson will come over and say, here's a sucker. I mean, hello, sir, how can I help you? And, uh, and uh, or hello, ma'am, how can I help you? And regardless, you are laying there thinking, is this comfortable? I have no idea. Can I lay here for eight hours? No. Well, I'll give it a try. It's not fun. What I'm saying is I hate going to mattress stores. So with Casper, you get to sleep on it. Literally sleep on it. $500 for a twin, up to $950 for a king. Compared to industry averages, that's actually an outstanding price point. And you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash Snell and using code Snell at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to Casper for sponsoring The Incomparable. Well, there's a lot here. We should probably blow the spoiler horn and get into it in more detail. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do that right now. That spoiler horn, uh, probably a reference in some way to David Bowie, because it isn't isn't everything. Lucifer is definitely the thin white duke of David Bowie. And I read after David Bowie died, I read an interview where they said that they at one point considered having all 12 members of the Pantheon be different aspects of David Bowie because oh. they, they said they could totally have done it. Oh, wow. Goodness. <laughs> they went another way. But Lucifer is definitely uh, yeah. David Bowie. So, so yeah, this it's funny that you mentioned the annotations and all that, because this is this is the first book in a while where I felt like. Um, I was reminded of when I read, read Watchmen and, um, mm -hmm. I know that that is, it's almost tired to have that be a touchstone, but that was the first time I really read a comic and felt like I needed to take notes and I wanted footnotes. Mm -hmm. And I, <laughs> I, I knew that there were so many layers and that also I, I, I was intrigued by the fact that there was a, um, and could t tell there was a plot that was going to drag me through the story. And it might not even be the point of the story as much as it is in so much work of fiction as the, uh, you know, the thing to drag, drag me through from the beginning the to the end. And so in this case, yeah, in this case, we get the, uh, the death of the, the judge when Lucifer snaps her fingers mm -hmm. and she's blamed for it and insists she didn't do it. And it's a godly 
act. So some uh, other one of the gods must have done it, and she's put in jail, and it it leads to a a, a chain of unfortunate events, um, and, and creates this mystery. Um, and, and and also there's a mystery of who the rest of the members of the pantheon are. Some of them die. Uh, some of them haven't yet been revealed, and so there's that mystery happening too. I um, I even like that. There's like the little mysteries about like we know that this 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 member of the pantheon is this god, but which version of that god is it? Mm-hmm. Right? Right. right, like ball. Ball, it's a yeah. big question yeah. of which ball ball Which is. one are you? And he's like, I identify with this one and not that one. <laughs> ball, who yeah. is sort of Kanye West, kind of, as a person. I have to say, except, <laughs> except for David Bowie, all of the other yeah. pop, pop music references are completely lost on me. Well, so. well there's Prince. <laughs> yeah. There's the one who looks mm-hmm. exactly like Prince, who is, yeah, yeah. is Prince. Anna. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the Woden character is sort of the Daft Punk. Is that Daft Punk? Okay. Yes. Yeah, he's yes. one of the Daft Punks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd read that uh, the Amaratsu was actually sort of Lawrence, somewhere between Florence Welch and Stevie Nicks. Huh. So. You have a good point there. I, 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 I had identified her as a Tori Amos sort of character because of the, the red the, hair, the long red hair and the, the abandon with which she flings herself around on stage. But uh, I think Stevie Nicks is another. Although personally, I feel like Stevie Nicks should be out of the pantheon because she's a law unto herself. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. But um, okay, there was there's one more the the rave dude, um, the one who hasn't Dionysus. been alone. Yes, Dionysus, who hasn't been alone inside his head for is he Moby? Let's say yes. I don't think so. He, he seems yeah. he looks a very young Moby, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a yeah. that's a cool character. No, I mean, that, that one of the joys in this is 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 seeing these gods put in in these. Um, Put in put in a modern context, and also the idea yes. that if you had gods in the modern world, they would be stars. Like literally, there's a convention celebrating mm-hmm. the fact convention. that they're stars. The fandomonium, that's uh, the pantheon, right? In, yeah. in in volume two, that and so that's so great. The, 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 you get this idea that if gods gods in a modern context are rock stars, so I guess the reverse would be true that we treat rock stars like gods. But here, it's literally the gods are rock mm-hmm. stars. I enjoy that the Norns are goth, like they're even more goth than the, the Morrigan. <laughs> yeah, none, none more goth. Yes. Yeah. Yes, with yeah. Ragnarok, R-O-C-K, because yeah. it's a rock concert, you see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, such, it's such a pretty book, like you said. It reminds me almost of the Nagel paintings of the 1980s, and one of those was on the cover. And one of those was a cover for, for Rio, which was one of the first albums I bought with my own money. Mm-hmm. So I have that inextricable music art association. <laughs> It's so smart. Um, I love the, the the multiple mysteries that are unfolding around it. Um, I, I wish that they would kind of explain more about the mechanisms of fandom. Like, how do these kids keep finding these music happenings? Uh, you know, is it through text? Is it through through bulletin boards? Is it through word of mouth? Like, there's like an undercurrent of mm-hmm. social media technology happening, but it's not really as much to the forefront as it could be. Yeah, I'm that's just, a, that's a good point. So, what do we think about the? So, our main character is not one of the is not one of the gods, or is she? Um, <laughs> is is Laura? She's she's a fan of the Pantheon, mm-hmm. and she becomes mm-hmm. kind of swept up in the inner workings of the Pantheon. Mm-hmm. She, she kind of gets she gets to be like a B list celebrity in the yeah. In the she's in the sort the of fa- like Kim fandom. Kardashian in the Paris Hilton days. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so she she gets swept up into this and befriends Lucifer, which is important because then when when Lucy is uh, accused of blowing up the the judge's head and all of that, she becomes a key uh, uh, witness essentially to to Lucifer's escape. And then there's the suggestion that Lucifer has sort of left something behind for her. After uh, we did we didn't mention there's. Um, what is it? Ananke, who is the uh, who is sort of like the old. She's like the crone who is also like the controller of and 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 watcher for the. Uh, she calls the them pantheon. into being. Right. Like, she calls them into being, and then the way this series begins is in the very first few panels of the very first issue. You you um you, well actually not the very first panels, the very few first issue, but like right at the beginning, there's the the whole scene where the incarnations from the 1920s the jazz age yeah. which is another moment of cultural people where there are there's this table there are eight skulls one of which is in a dreadful state which yes. suggests a very violent death <laughs> yeah yeah and then there are four of them left and i found myself trying to figure out like who was who because we know that one of them was um 
they even give you a circle for the the uh, yeah. with different icons than we get in the modern right. day yeah. ones. Like yeah. we know, one of them is Minerva, just because yep. the the owl icon is similar, and one of them is Susano, who is um, you know a Japanese god, who by the way was also featured in Sandman. Um, <laughs> but like we don't get we don't get the neat one to one matchup, and I found myself wondering why these four. How did she get them in one place? And how does she manage to coerce them into killing themselves? And so when you start with something like that, and then you move to and these are pop stars with built in expiration dates, um, it gets like, I love a good mystery like that, because I just want to find out why, like, how does she exert this hold? Why? Why do they agree to this? What happens if a god fights back? Do you ever find out? Um Right, because when we see the gods from the 20s, the last thing they do is the three surviving members snap their fingers and the building they're in blows up. So the implication yeah. there is that they're, when you're not going to live past two years, the, the, you could read that as being, you know, they will expire naturally or something, but that's not yeah. what we see. We see them, mm-hmm. a lot Killing of them are already themselves. dead, and then the last three basically blow themselves up. Is yeah. it three or four? I thought it was four. four. Oh, it was four. Four. Right. It's one, two, and three, I- four. Yeah, because uh, they yeah. go one, hmm. two, one, two, three, four. So that you've got the four, they've got the four four beat that they're already starting, which sort of presages rock and roll when you think about it. Yeah, yeah and Dionysus's rave later. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how accurate this is. This was um, on Wikia. Some mm-hmm. somebody started con- constructing uh, Wicked and Divine annotations there. They identified the um, African American in the twenties as another Baal. And then the white-faced girl with the mask is another Amaratsu. Cause the, the makeup yeah. is a bit similar. Hmm. So we're, we're so we're looking at because the the man is Susanu based on the right. Uh, so apparently, apparently so there's some reruns, and then there's yeah. sometimes new ones get in the mix. And so yeah. there's the the, the 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 flapper is Minerva, and it's worth noting that in this incarnation, this Minerva is dressed like one of the Beatles, and she's like twelve years old. Um, also worth mentioning is that Lucifer, when she's not Lucifer, was actually named Eleanor Rigby. Yeah. Yeah. Because when, her parents were major Beatles fans. Yeah. yeah <laughs> there, there's so, I mean, I, I mentioned Ananki to, to say that, that um, in the end, um, uh, what, what happens is that Laura is left with this sort of like trace of Lucifer and wants to know what happened to Lucifer because Ananki catches up with her after she's broken out of jail and 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 blows her head off. Um and so the mystery suddenly transforms into not who set up Lucifer but really like who like set up Lucifer and led to her death and then that sends Laura on this kind of interesting journey. It's it's like a um, I don't know how to describe it. I, I think there's a word for it in fiction, but it's she's she's taking a journey. It's a little bit like it's a little bit like uh, almost like the Odyssey or something like Candide, where she is she's kind of traveling through the circles of these bizarre things that are happening culturally around all of these different gods as she is trying to gather information about what's going on. Which I think is a really cool way to introduce us because we're sort of thrown in without much of a map, and then and then she does lead us through. She gets in this very special position where. She she gets access that a normal person wouldn't and then starts to learn about what the is going on with the Pantheon. And what's interesting about the whole access thing is um, she also has a frenemy, I guess you'd say, Cassandra, mm-hmm. who's the jur- who's the journalist, the skeptical journalist who's right. um, who's sort of angry about the access that fans get compared to journalists and has a real chip on her shoulder until Anake decides to to oh you're oh you're Uther and um Uther or Urter because I I know the D is actually pronounced th from uh, way old English anyway oh. she's one of the Norns and her two cameramen get turned camera ladies get turned into the other Norns and part of me is wondering if Anake can strategically deploy and defi- deploy divinity where it suits her long her 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 long term needs. Yeah, that's kind of opened a question, I yeah. think. Yeah. I don't know if later episode later issues will clarify that because mm-hmm. on the one hand, it does feel like she's, you know, able to sort of pick and choose. Uh we have mm-hmm. the bit where um Mary Marion becomes the Morrigan and then is like, yeah. Can can Cameron come? Can 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 Cameron come too? And well, Cameron yeah. comes Baphomet. But on the other hand, what she says to Cassandra sort of implies that she's got to like sort of hunt and discover them. Right. Mm. What I'm wondering about is if these divinities come through, or if she's like, okay, you have a combination of traits that that can can are, are divinity compatible, and here you go. Because the event that ends the second book, and I realize we've we've done the spoiler horn, but the event that ends the second book, where first she, I'm so oh here you are, and she she basically um, 
indulges in a wish fulfillment exercise and then in a murder. And I thought to myself, did you do that to disarm this person or this divinity? Um, it, her actions are very opaque and very strategic. Yeah, it puts a lot, I mean, especially because she is kind of one of the like sources for a lot of the, like the rules of the world. Yeah. And then those actions in that last issue, it's like, well, how much of what we were told do I still 100% right. believe? It's, right. It's, yeah. I mentioned this on uh, when I mentioned I was reading this in our last uh, comic book club that I feel like the ending of of uh, the second trade is a brilliant cliffhanger because mm-hmm. in those last few pages, what happens? The entire premise is called into question about how this yes. happens. You this this character who you've been sort of introduced to suggest you know she's kind of creepy, but she sort of like has a lot of knowledge. Uh, she drops enough knowledge for you to make you question exactly what her role is here. And your main character, is, who we've established is not actually one of the Pantheon, is told, oh no, you actually are the 13th member of the Pantheon, and then is murdered. So yeah. you've lost, you <laughs> yeah. lose the main character, the The entire premise is questioned, and yeah. that's the end of the second trade. It's a, it's shocking. It's a great ending. But it's certainly a great cliffhanger. I also saw it as a really sly subversion of the Mary Sue trope, as it were. Because you have a fan who's so involved and this world is such wish fulfillment. And then when they finally do get to become the minute they're the member of the favorite fandom, boom, they're killed by the creator. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was funny because Chip Chip warned me he actually read this before I did um, and he had it on, on his iPad, on his nice shiny iPad Pro. And he told me before. Um, I started reading, okay, you cannot go George R.R. R. Martin on this and throw the iPad against the wall when you uh, finish. Oh, no. <laughs> and to be frank, I didn't feel like doing that. Um, I have speculations since um, the chosen goddess uh, identity for Laura is Persephone. And Persephone yeah. sort of has a cycle thing going on. So, you know, I, I didn't immediately feel the same way. As I did with Martin, and it actually didn't have to do with Martin killing off characters, even though I loathe how he will do that kind of thing. It was because the second shoe that the first shoe was like in the first pages of the first book, and it took three books to get to the second shoe, and that's too long. But that's totally off topic. Sorry. (laughs) I don't know. But yeah, but I was not as upset as Chip expected me to be reading that. Um, There are things that I really like and things that are important to me seem to be important to, you know, the team like, uh, like, I'm glad I mean, it would have been kind of cool to see all of the gods as different iterations of Bowie, but I'm glad that they went in another way and that they've got, uh, you know, different genders and different races and different, you know, they, they've got a, a gay character. There's a transgender character, uh-huh. like, and it's not a big deal. Like when Cassandra is revealed to be trans, it's just like, um, you know, Lucy's like, Oh, I said this thing to hurt you. And she's like, it did. And that's like it. It's not yeah. like, Oh my God. And I really, really loved that. Um, yeah, that's a very so, big strength to the books in my opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my trans friends love it. Um, absolutely love it. So it's not, um, I feel confident and like, okay, this is a representation done right. Um, so that kind of gives me more motivation to continue reading too. Yeah, it's um, I I think it's hard. This is a hard read. I would say it's dense for somebody. Yeah. For it somebody, is. I was thinking about word. you while I was reading it because because um, Aline, because as a re- a relatively new comics reader, it is dense. It is that's why I kept coming back to Watchmen. Is it was the same thing where I feel like every time I read it. I'm noticing something different and that's definitely how it was the mm-hmm. first million times I read Watchmen mm-hmm. where there's what's yep. there are the words on the page and then there's the art and then there's the things that are embedded in the art and they actually mean something they're not just there mm-hmm. to make a pretty background they are things that will take you to interesting shadings of meaning of the story if you are uh looking at them so it it really um it survives multiple readings and in fact almost demands multiple readings and, and but it that does make it dense and it isn't it isn't very welcoming i would say um you so, sort of have to go with it and hope hope to catch up later and that, it, that i think it attaches to the plot too where laura um until she kind of falls all the way in and get and you get your bearings a little bit which of course is swept away from you at the end of volume 2 um 
it, 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 you know, you are you are lost in the world because she doesn't have enough information and she's really our mm-hmm. represent our representative in this world. So it's a tough mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's it is challenging and dense in a, in a way that um, not a lot of comics that I've read yeah, recently. I, have. I feel like I hadn't yeah. been kind of challenged in this way by a comic in a, in a long time. I was kind of having uh, reminders of, of when I used to read just a ton of Vertigo stuff. And, and it really yeah. felt like that both, both yes. thematically and density. Oh. I You know, one of my favorite <laughs> comics is. Uh, a uh, hundred bullets, and every time a new volume would come out, I would reread all of the previous volumes uh, again in preparation for reading it. So, like, I've read volume one of a hundred bullets more than thirteen times because there are thirteen volumes, right? Um, and like, that's a comic I love. It's not a comic I recommend to a lot of people because I don't think it has broad appeal <laughs> it's, and it's super dense. Um, but I mean, it, it's nice to be challenged by it. But it was also like this is this is an unfamiliar feeling. Like, I don't know if I dislike this, but this is. You know, this isn't something comics have really pushed on me in a while. You're right that this is a very vertigo feeling read, though, because um, it, it it celebrates it celebrates a culture that is not necessarily mainstream, and that culture has its own rules and its own rewards, and it makes the argument that people who are in cult people who choose that culture are still inherently worthy of you know interest and love and respect and all those other things as well. They're not just people who look weird and have strange interests, which I really mm-hmm. like. And like, I mean, in some ways, it's it. Like there's some stuff like going back like that that Sandman did in his stories that was kind of like revolutionary at his time that feels like you know some of it is great and, and still holds up and some of it is like kind of very dated in terms of like the society in terms of when it was written so it's it's nice to see something you know that's that's taking on some of those those uh, attitudes in a in a in a more modern way right. Mm-hmm. And my style for reading comic books because I'm a, I'm a reader first and foremost right is I go through and I read the words and then I go through a second time and I I read the words and look at the art. Um, I'm not a very patient reader, um, <laughs> so um, I I think that was um, I I actually don't know how much the art helps in like the the conceptual things um, as as you're going along, but. Um, it's, I mean, it does definitely add depth to the story. Um, but yeah, I was, I was confused a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'll freely admit there were points when I was confused and had to reread a couple of pages. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm still confused. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There's certainly things that still need to be answered. Yeah. There, I think, you know, some of that, I think you're supposed to be confused. Some of it, I don't know, but I mean, depends how they stick the landing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we should say that they they have said that this is there is a story. The, 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 this is closed ended, somewhere between thirty and sixty issues. You know, I think that's comics <laughs> professionals, <laughs> comics professionals admitting that the story can yeah. sometimes get away from you a little bit, mm-hmm. um, or it becomes unprofitable. One of those. They're <laughs> approaching it with the Straczynski method. Yeah, exactly right. We, oh we'll God, see. no! We'll 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 spread it <laughs> oh, out, no. or, or a middle and an end, or contracting it as, as we go. Oh um, God! No, yeah, Lisa's thinking just thinking the, of the end of, uh, of Rising, Rising Stars. stars so. Oh um, God! <laughs> uh, so, uh, what what do people think of the of the? Uh, I'm going to ask about the sex, and I'm going to ask about the gore. So, let's start with the gore. What do what do people feel about the heads exploding and the um, neck with without a head on it as, on the cover of the last issue of Volume Two? Uh, too much. Not part of the part of the story. I, th- I I thought it was. I noticed that it was kind of unflinching in its depiction of of people getting stuff blown up. Um, unflinching, yes, but this this is where I think McElvey's art helps. At least personally for me, um, I did not think it was nearly as gory as it genuinely was because the art is so clean. The art is so smooth. It did not it did not bother me as much as it might have, say, somebody actually filming this or another person's style of art might do. Um, so, yeah, the, the gore did not bother me nearly as much as it could have. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. I, we've been watching the Clone Wars and there there have been things that have bothered me more in the Clone Wars than like seeing someone's head explode. Um, the panel where the judge's head explodes is a little like there's yeah, a floating there's eyeball eye. in there, yeah. and I'm yeah. like, I maybe could have yeah. done without that, but it's not like a photorealistic <laughs> thing, so it's yeah. not right. that it's bad. It's it's stylized. Yeah, if it were more like like the Walking Dead, sometimes when I read 
I, uh-huh. I have trouble looking at some of those panels. Um, fortunately, it's not in color, so that helps a lot. I had but, to stop reading The Walking Dead because of the way they depicted a lot of the stuff in there, yeah. actually. Yeah, I mean, it's it's graphic and it's gritty. I'm trying to remember now. I can't even remember the name of the series. Um, that's uh, American Vampire yep. that Stephen King oh. started writing. Loved oh. the story, but some of the art, I was just like, ooh. Yeah, the, the 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 Walking Dead art, I would I would say was when it's ugly, it's like when it's when it's graphic, it's ugly. And mm-hmm. Wicked and the Divine is not something I would ever call ugly, even when it's right. graphic. Mm-hmm. It's sort of beautifully graphic, but it still can be gross and unpleasant. And there are definitely mm-hmm. panels in this that I mm-hmm. that I find kind of yucky. But that doesn't mean that I don't think that they're beautifully rendered in a way that that The Walking Dead, you know, it, it was gross stuff rendered ug- in an ugly way. I thought a lot of the time. Now I should add that two of my all-time favorite series are The Authority and Preacher. So, so my my <laughs> so my tolerance for how much gore is acceptable in a comic book may be a little maybe a little bit of an outlier for the rest of this panel. Fair enough. <laughs> but um, I I think in the context of this book, the gore is shocking because. Um, the art is so beautiful and this is not a particularly gritty world. I mean, even when you're in subways, it is still like you're, you're focusing on how beautifully composed each panel is and how like, there's a lot of that there, they do a lot of visual imagery that weighs on some very romantic notions of what it's like to be in a train station or what it's like to be in a darkened and empty public space. And so because it's so beautiful and so meticulously composed and so romantic. It feels jarring when you do see like a, a headless stump of neck because you're like, Oh, I don't recall that in any of the millions of rock videos I mainlined on MTV or any of the tumblers I follow or anything like that. It's just like, Oh, you know, whereas like if I saw a shot like this in authority, I'd be like, Oh, Frank quietly is going easy on us this month. So, (laughs) So that's where we are. Uh, what about the what about the sort of like uh, uh, not just sex but uh, but all of the uh, sex and hedonism? This is about gods and a pantheon and famously, you know, I mean, we we have uh, Dionysus in here for Pete's sake, right? We they're, they're, so I'm, I'm curious. I really I also wanted to mention in particular the rave issue, mm-hmm. um, oh, that's which a great is issue. is all bright colors and. Um, Laura gets really kind of ca- caught up in it, and it's, uh, it's horrifying ultimately. But but uh, very interesting in a in a different way. There's also a a, a scene that we see very briefly of a uh, of an orgy uh, that's being put on by one of the gods too. So I'm just I'm curious what people what people think about how that stuff is portrayed in this. If you've got any thoughts about that, I, partly because I think so early on it's kind of established that. One of the things that these reincarnated gods are doing is having all the sex all the time that um, that it didn't surprise me. And therefore, I was just I kept reading. Um, I don't remember being phased by by it terribly much. I mean, they're teenagers with two years to live. The, the right. sex is consensual. And I'm a lot less bothered by that than I was by the first by one of the by the first few instances of sex I saw in Sandman, for example where it's much more disturbing, especially the 24 hours in the diner episode issue. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shannon's like, Oh, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, yep. you know, and, and sex, drugs and rock and roll. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely the theme here. No, I mean, I think the thing that bothers me more than anything else, if I'm going to read is, is the, the creeping more to, is the fact that you have a god that people are fetting who is a 12-year-old child and everybody is is sort of ignoring the fact that she's going to be dead before she's 15. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, her parents are raking in as much money as possible. Or they're, you know, $100 and you get a personal blessing. And, the, the yeah. gods, but, yeah. and yet the, the, her fellow gods are protective of her, yeah. which I think is yes. really They're the ones taking care of her as best they yeah. can. Yeah, And she's aware. That's the first thing we hear from her is yeah. she's, you know, in... Um, as they take Laura back to kind of meet some of these gods when Lucy's in jail, she's like, I'm going to be dead before, you know, when I'm 14. Yeah. yeah. Like first, first introduction we get to her. Those are some of the first words out of her mouth. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the, um, 
interesting thing about this setup, right, is that the idea is that they're people, but they're also gods. And there's that duality there and the god portion of them, whether they're unclear, right, whether they're always gods and just are awakened to it or whether they're there or is this more sinister where they are sort of chosen and the god essence is kind of poured into them Mm -hmm. and burns them out after two years. Mm -hmm. Uh, The gods are immortal and they'll come back in 90 years, but those Mm -hmm. people in this life are gone. And do do they have the ability to steal years from each other? Do they? Yeah. Well, the the this is the thing is I'm surprised we haven't seen the phrase human sacrifice put into context yet because that's what these children effectively are. Is there human sacrifices to this notion that the divinity is supposed to touch everybody around them and that's how the world gets changed as people come away from their experience with divinity right. changed and it, it ripples out. Um, one of the things we're talking about now – I promise this is not spoilery, but one of the the, the things you're talking about with uh, whether or not these people are like like the effect of being a god on the person. Like there's a there's an issue in the third tray that goes into that in excruciating detail, and it's a beautiful and horrible issue all at the same time. And like I had to go, I I had to like go put down the, the book and decompress after reading it. But I was like, oh my god, this is so smart. Once I did. <laughs> So, so you all have that to look forward to. I guess we'll, I guess we'll we'll get there. Um, yeah. I wanted I, I wanted to mention. Um, I thought it was really question. interesting. The the um, at the at the convention, <laughs> there is a panel that a former girlfriend of Woden is on, mm-hmm. and he walks in and yeah. basically tempts her to come back into his circle. And it, but she has to admit that everything terrible she's saying about him is a lie. Um, and then he and then he makes the the his little pink uh, suit thing evaporate and walks out on her and that that publicly yeah that's a yeah. real Woden is a really interesting character because he we don't see his face he see, he implies that he's been horribly um, horribly scarred and and can't be right. looked upon um, and then right. he's also the one who is sort of like shamelessly he just is building a harem and wants to have sex with as many women as he can before he dies. Yeah, uh, and and plus he doesn't seem to be doing much in the way of performing. He's like the builder. He's the one that Ananke comes to um, when he's help. He helps do things, but he's not like front and center the way some of the others are. No, it's just it's an interesting character, and he does does not seem like a particularly pleasant person on on any level. But he is mm-hmm. shiny, and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and I I, I mean I think. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's that's interesting too. That he is this very notably interesting looking character, kind of more traditional comic booky looking than anybody mm-hmm. else in 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 the pantheon. Um, but he's he's kind of awful. He's Daft Punk. <laughs> he's very he's that Daft Punk where the identity play is part of the mystique that yeah. goes with it. But he's and also Doctor like, Doom. Hates him and, yeah, everybody hates him and fears him, and they're fascinated by him. Yeah. I don't know. Doctor Doom seems to have more of a sense of humor about himself than this guy does. I, su- I suppose that's true. He's he's very unpleasant, but the horribly scarred and wearing yeah. a cool outfit mm-hmm. thing fits with yeah. with that. This 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 series makes me wish I were more of a music nerd because mm-hmm. I have a feeling if I were, I would be just tripping out over what what the writers are saying about specific musicians with how they're choosing to depict or what gods they're they're choosing to to pair and channel with at the same time. I feel like I'm missing a dimension of the book because I'm not big into either. Well, I mean, I like music, but I'm not a huge music nerd. And I don't have a lot of music insider lore or gossip in my back pocket. And that's the one area where I, I feel like I'm missing out on a, a facet of this, this experience. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's intentional that like the, that, that all the fan groups seem, I mean, not exclusively, but are primarily uh, young people? I, I wondered if that was just like Laura's view on things or, or some kind of commentary there. I mean, cause that's my big question is like, the, we now are in a world where the gods come back, but like, but everybody else is still like going to work and stuff. And it's just college kids who are like cutting class. Um, well, they bring that out a bit with um, the character um, at one of the, like the, two the years academics. previously, one of the Rangaroks. So you've yeah. got this gentleman, you know, being all cynical about, yeah, you kids today uh, or the kids today don't understand or won't appreciate. Um, so you've got at least one character voicing that kind of thing. Um, and of course, you know, you've got the few adults that show up, whether it's the police officers or the firemen or the um, those sort of people. You know, they're trying to treat these kids as kids. And then somebody, you know, somebody finally tells somebody else, look, the, the, these these are dangerous. The, these are yeah. not within your experience. Back off. So, you know, even 
even Laura's parents, it's like, you know, they're, they're these like super well-meaning, super supportive to, to the point where she she's trying to rebel just to make them mad because they never get mad. Um, so, yeah, the, it does seem extremely tightly focused on the youth generation um, and, and what adults are there um, are not very helpful. It's like Ananke is the most mother figure that the, that Pantheon has yeah. because you know every time one of them, one, every time she wakes up, one of them, I missed mm-hmm. you, and yeah. then when mm-hmm. they go away, I love you, mm-hmm. no, but but you're gonna die now. No I more wire you. hangers, Ananke. No more. This is this is for your own good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I. I think I, I was actually thinking of fan dynamics, something Shannon said there. I, I was reminded, um, and although Eric is not here, I'm going to bring up Doctor Who only to say, if you've got something like this where you've got people who are not the kids of the of the current generation, right? Obviously, there's going to be a subculture of the Pantheon that is a residue of the last appearance they made. And although all the people from then have died out. There's apparently enough knowledge about this idea, mm-hmm. you know, that Cassandra is able to research it, that, you know, people there's- who are... Just old enough professors to talk. Of it, right? Yeah, that are professors and right. have researched previous, you know, the 1920s and earlier. So, but but when they appear, it's like it's not for them. It's like it's for the current generation, and it's a new generation of fans, essentially. And I think I think that is something that is touched on in in this, at least a little bit, is this idea that there's a schism between, like, you know, yeah, it's great that you studied this and all of that, but these are these are the new ones, and this is our this is our pop music. The, you know, this is our fandom. We, you know, we are the ones who are here and that, you know, yeah, you're interested in the Pantheon, but, you know, you're not part of our group. You're you're on and the outside. That's the perfect metaphor for music. Mm-hmm. I mean, every, every yeah. generation has the music that, you know, they grew up, you know, whether it's, you know, youth or teen, that's mm-hmm. their music and later music isn't as good. This is a theme they mind in phonogram too. Is it's something and this is like one of the central premises of phonogram is as you get older your music loses the cultural power and the cultural currency it once had. And you know, this is why I this is why I feel like you kind of have to read both bo- both books like either in conjunction with one another or one and then the other is cuz phonogram is also about the magic of music and how it's highly specific to certain generations and certain societal conditions. And um, I like, honestly, I like it here that it's young people because um, it goes down to people who are, you know, teens and young adults using music as a way to figure out who they are and to forge their tribal identity and to forge their cultural identity and be able to say, yeah, this is when I turned into a person with my own thoughts and likes and dislikes. And this is the soundtrack that I listened to while I did it. And the idea of having a divinity that helps midwife that process. I think that's a really interesting idea. (laughs) Hmm. And kind of ra- and kind of radical. I look forward to seeing, you know, the the thing I, I look forward to seeing is I'd love to see an issue where you have somebody who lived out the most of the span of their lives between the periods of divinities. Like, do they feel like they've missed out, or are they? I was just going to say radically yeah. different. Like, what is what is their experience of personhood like compared to somebody who is going through this in the UK? Um, which also raises for me another question. Like, why is this phenomenon just isolated to Britain? Is it because the, the creators uh, are British? I don't think or? it is. I think they make, they reference that it pops up other places, right? Right. Like it does, because yeah. there was a, there was a South American one. And, uh, okay. but this yeah, one, this the, one they is. they skip sometimes. That bothered me too, that it seemed to be focused so tightly on not just England, but London. And, you know, all of these um, divinities were in London. And yeah, there was that one brief mention about South America. Although if I remember correctly, that was like, that one of the deities participating at some point was from South America, was from South American mythology, but not necessarily that, um, that, that this phenomenon happened there. So So, that's unclear to me. Um, when we meet, um, the one who looks like Prince, I'm bad at names. Um, Inanna. Inanna. Yeah. So when we meet him, um, he talks about, um, it's good to see you again, Laura. And she's like, oh, you remember me from, you know, a, a couple months ago or a couple of weeks ago. And he's like, no, I remember you from a year ago and at the at the conference. And she was angry and stood up because one of the panelists at, at this panel she was attending was talking about how 
Right. Like this generation doesn't deserve this. Um, maybe this will be one of the times where it skips a generation or maybe it'll be like somewhere else. And, and they mentioned like other, I think China and South America or something. So there's, there's an allusion to it being more, a more widespread thing and not necessarily a consistent thing either. And I don't know what plays into that, um, coming to pass. I also don't know how much of this is, is, is British comics culture in a way because you think about like I'm thinking about the authority and the premise that every hundred years at the beginning of the century the earth gives birth to quote-unquote century babies who form the, the the earth's immune system over the next 100 years and they're the spirits of the technology that will transform culture which is why you have Jenny Sparks at the beginning of the 20th century and Jenny Quantum at the beginning of the 21st and this seems to be something that's pretty um not peculiar but I've noticed a lot with um British comic writers is they they do enjoy cyclical themes. And I don't know if it's because you get raised on a diet of Arthurian legends or what. But but this seems to be part of it, too, where there's this whole implication that it's cyclical, and it's a culture and it's paired with cultural upheaval. And um, I don't think you again, I, th- I wonder if nationality plays into this. And the reason we're all, why is it like this is because we're approaching it from a really American perspective, where, you know, the answer has always been when in doubt, find a frontier. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to if you stay on this island long enough arthur will come back <laughs> oh god i'm gonna get hate mail from lots of british people <laughs> uh-huh. well they're gonna also tell us that we just completely missed all of the important british references that are in the wicked and the probably Divine. we probably yeah. did yeah it's i hope they told bloody us what americans they are. Yeah. language yeah, one, of, one of the annotations i saw mentioned how the the building that hosts the convention that apparently there's some cable car thing now that you can like ride across the Thames and it's not there. And um, the person annotating it was wondering if it was because the, the uh, member of parliament behind it was a really bigoted jerk. So who knows? It's because there are no gods in the actual London. And so it's obviously <laughs> a different world then. Yeah. Um, Anything more about The Wicked and the Divine? I'm looking forward to reading Volume 3, which I have not read yet because I was saving it until after this podcast so I wouldn't, uh, like, violate the, the <laughs> and spoil the results uh, in some way. So I want, I want, it's sitting on my uh, iPad ready for me. I gave in after Lisa was encouraging that, you know, after <laughs> I finished the second one. So, yes, I, I read the, the three volumes and I'm probably going to dig up the issues that are currently out as singletons. You listen oh. to Lisa. Lisa is an enabler. She does it I to think all I'll, of I'll us. start it tonight. That is what we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I don't I don't know if it's a comic that I would recommend to a lot of people um, as much as other comics that I won't shut up to, to people about. So so I like it, but I, I don't know if this is one that I'm going to like be running running around hitting people over the head with it. Yeah, this so. one, it rewards being smart. It rewards being knowledgeable. And, you know, not everybody looks at comics for that. I thought you were going to say something about me. Um, <laughs> No, no what we said about it being it. dense and looking at footnotes yeah. and all that, it, yeah. this is not what I would certainly have. I think you got to be a, uh, uh, well, I, I'd be interested in what Aline has to say about this. I mean, she already touched on it a little bit. I would recommend this much more to somebody who is a bit more of a veteran comic book reader who is kind of uh, confident in their ability to dive into something super dense. This um, is, yeah, the, the ramp up on this is uh, is pretty... Or pretty somebody steep. who's a music nerd and would yeah. get that it takes some work. of the references. Or, or yeah. somebody who just really misses Vertigo because yeah. this is such a... Mm-hmm. This is such a Vertigo book and I think back to all... Well, the last one that I felt like I had to do this much homework on, and I mean homework in a good way, was The Unwritten, the Mike Carey book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that's another one where you're like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, this this makes me feel really bad for, for AP testing out of all of my literature requirements in college because I could have used another literature class. <laughs> if, you, if you'd like to hear us talk about uh, The Unwritten, by the way, you can tune in to Incomparable episode number two. Way back yeah. a while? Way back. Number yeah, first... two. Mm-hmm. Was that episode about like all of comics? Was that back when we were covering oh, yeah. things? So no, it was about the, it was about the unwritten. Although I think <laughs> oh. we descended into discussions of Vertigo in general at that point. But yeah. um, but it was very specifically the unwritten was what we were reading, which is good. That's a good that's a good comic. I, I like a lot of Mike Carey stuff. I feel like Image Comics is kind of turning into the Vertigo of this mm. decade. Could be, Aline. So so um, overall, would you as a as a, a newer comic reader, would you steer people away from w- the Wicked and the Divine if they weren't confident in their comic reading skills, or w- is it okay? 
I don't know. Honestly, I, I just, I think it depends upon the person. I, I wish I could say yep or nope, but I think, um, I think that if it's a person who is patient and willing to go back and read it again and um, or maybe is better at me than me than looking at the art as they go or whatever, then, you know, definitely go for it. Um, it's definitely not as light as, you know, getting into Marvel comic books where you can just kind yeah. of dive in and read and not, you know, like Miss Marvel. I love Miss Marvel. I don't have to think a whole lot when I read Miss Marvel. Right. Um, but but with unless this, you want I'm to. Like, yeah. Right. Unless I want to. And you definitely can. Um, but with this, it was it was just like I need to be in the mood for something more um, intellectual. I don't think that's quite the right word, but, you know, just just. I need to sit down and think and be able to pay attention. It's not something I can do halfway. Um, so I think that would be my criteria more than, you know, whether they're a veteran reader of comics or not. All right. Look inside yourself. See if right. you're part of the Pantheon. And you if you are, true. then uh, continue and, and read uh, The Wicked and the Divine. Any other final thoughts about about this uh, this comic before we uh, we move on? I'm going to be a ridiculous geek and say I now have a second favorite letterer in comics. The first oh. is Todd Klein, and Clayton Cowles is now my second favorite. Yes, he's doing great work. Yeah, the different styles here and there. He fluctuates between um, who's speaking and mm-hmm. um, and Laura's thoughts versus mm-hmm. um, the actual narration. So, and you can always yeah, tell who it is. I, it's so great. I noticed. I mean, I usually don't yeah. notice lettering, but you know, mm. I noticed Todd Klein and Sandman and other works he's done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was noticing Clayton Cowles and his work all the way through. I've actually put down books because I couldn't stand the lettering. So I am okay. with you on this. I appreciate that. I just wanted to talk about the art just a second more because there are so many different not different styles, but coloring, I think, rather than the art is what I'm looking for. Like if you look at one of the first, um, one of the first panels in the second volume is um, kind of like a flashback to when, when Lucy dies in the art style in that it's white with like neon colored lines and the art style kind of on those panels, like where the judges, again, the judges head explodes, um, you know, it, it's, it's different and it's, um, it's a really interesting contrast that I'm not seeing. And maybe this is the vertigo style that you're talking about, but it's a contrast that I'm not seeing in kind of the superhero comics that I'm reading or, you know, again, the black and white walking dead, you know, volumes. So I don't know. I just, I, I really love it. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Um, that, yeah, the art that they are doing things with art um, to emphasize what's going on in the plot, what's going on with the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, like we mentioned with the Dionysus issue of just how everything is so cotton candy pink um, during mm-hmm. the rave and everything's going on that just um, really typifies what's um, what's happening in the story. But um, something that uh, you remade, reminded me of, there's an issue in the second volume and maybe the one you're talking about where they actually deliberately made most of the story by recycling previous panels. They actually mm-hmm. like went and scavenger hunted Through all the, of those previous yeah. things and made almost the entire issue with no brand new art, which was really interesting. Yeah. I just, I think that it's, I think it's great. Let's, uh, let's move on and talk about if there are other comics that you have read recently. This is a shot in the dark, but it usually gets, mm-hmm. usually Lisa uh, tells us things that we have to read. Uh, <laughs> I should just call this Lisa tells us what to read. But um, if, there, what, what, uh, if there are any other comics you're reading, I would love to hear about it. Lisa, uh, what, what, do, what are we reading next? What are you, te- what are you reading what are that you're liking? Yeah. Okay, I just finished um, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl Volumes 1 and 2. And so then I read them t- and then I read them to my daughter, and um, she's five, and she now loves Squirrel Girl passionately. Like sleeps with the the sleeps with the the issues under her under her pillow. And um, the reason I would recommend this to both adults and as a family friendly book is because the way the book is structured is you can read it to kids, and it's just this very cheery, um, positive. Um, joyful book about being a young woman who loves being in college and loves being a superhero at the same time. And there are all of these really clever um, extra textual jokes and then these footnotes at the bottom of the page that are just downright hysterical. So um, it's 
it can be a fast and funny and non-challenging read if that's what you're into, or it can be a little bit more of a deep dive if you're like, I'd like to nerd out. So loved and read The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Um, right after I went to see Hail Caesar, I went. I read all three volumes of Ed Broodbaker's um, noir book, The Fade Out, which centers on the murder of a Hollywood starlet in the 1950s. Um, the fixer who may actually not be responsible and it crosses over into the impact of the red scare on Hollywood and um, what it's like to be a writer who's living with PTSD in a time when like nobody knew what that was or even identified it. It's, it's noirish. And because I'm somebody who likes Raymond Chandler novels a lot, I liked it. And I thought the fade out was a really nice tonal counterpoint to um, the Coen brothers take on the same period in, in Hail Caesar. Um, what else did I read recently? Um, the third trade paperback for God Hates Astronauts came out. And that is one of the most exuberantly stupid books and comics. Like, it's just dumb. It is, it is, it is. Ryan Brown is like, is is a savant, is a savant when it comes to doing really unrepentantly stupid, hilarious stuff and um i mean you have you have uh, a king tiger eating a cheeseburger who in, who launches an invasion against earth using an army of crab people who can be eaten um the lead character who had his head punched off in like the first trade and merged with a ghost cow is still you know gleefully dumb with his with his wife who who's also a superhero it's 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 a book that makes almost no sense if you haven't been reading it from the first trade and i love it so much because it is just so so broad and idiotic <laughs> and um let's see and i finally finished the uh, she hulk run uh done by oh god i'm blanking on his last name souls charles charles souls i finally finished the she hulk run that that he did and it had a lovely and satisfying ending and i'm sorry that he's not continuing on that book and i hope that someday she hulk gets the the gets the hawkeye experience where the right team like the right audience finds the book and embraces it and sort of carries it forward because um it was a lot of fun, and they actually showed her doing a lot of lawyering type stuff, and they made that pretty interesting, which is which is a big challenge. So, those are the books I've been reading recently. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Tony, what are you reading? Uh, well, I'm. I also read um, uh, the the Ed Brubaker book that uh, Lisa was reading, um, which I also I read as a follow up to um, Fatal, which is his with the the same author. Uh, Brubaker and an artist, uh, I think Sean Phillips, uh, which is basically kind of a uh, a noir with mixed with uh, Cthulhu mythos, which was interesting. Um, I will also mention uh, I just recently read uh, it was recommended to me by a librarian, so I'll, I'll share that recommendation onto you. Uh, Southern Cross is a kind of a, a murder mystery set in space. Uh, it's about a, a woman who's looking for her sister who disappeared on a uh, on a tanker flight to uh, the the moon of Titan. Um, and I, I like I like stuff in space. I really like the fuse, which is uh, murder mysteries in space. And Southern Cross is a little bit more of that uh, with some kind of weird, kind of trippy '70s style art. So uh, that was pretty interesting. I read the first volume of that, and I am looking forward to more volumes of that. I had I haven't started a new series in a long time, and I just ordered Squirrel Girl because Lisa told me to. So. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Lisa, she does that. Uh, so, Shannon, do you have anything that you'd like to recommend that you've been looking at? Well, unfortunately, I have been so swamped at work. I have gotten very little reading done in general, yeah. and most of it's been for the Afoot podcast. But mm-hmm. I did manage to um, finally get uh, Sandman Overture done and read. Yes, it took me this long. But, yes, to, to because I'm all things Sandman. I'm a huge fan of Gaiman and anything Gaiman does. Um, so once this was complete and in a uh, trade paperback format, uh, I, um, I I grabbed it and I bought it and and I enjoyed it. All right, and Aline, anything other than the things that we assigned you for for this? Anything else that you've been reading and liking? <laughs> Um, same as the last episode, honestly, um, Miss Marvel, Jim and the hologram squirrel girl. I really like, I really love her approach to problem solving, um, because, uh, she doesn't just like, uh, beat them up. She, she solves problems and I appreciate that. Um, I have the 2014 run of black widow, which I haven't dived into quite yet. Um, and then, yeah, that's about it. All right. 
And then uh, for me, I'll say, in addition to, yes, The Wicked and the Divine, um, I've been reading uh, volume one of Midnighter, the Joe Orlando uh, comic about the from from uh, from the pages of the authority, uh, and I think he's an interesting. Uh, I, 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 it's it's violent but funny and kind mm-hmm. of weird, and um, I find him enjoyable. And that this is the Midnighter after he and he and his husband uh, have uh, split up, and so he's uh, he's like on his own and has his. Uh, everybody knows he's the Midnighter, and he's on Tinder or Grinder or whatever as the Midnighter, and he just dates dates people and is the Midnighter, and it's fascinating and interesting and uh, strange, and I like it. Um, thanks to, thanks to Joe Steele for recommending that actually on Twitter. Um, so quick question. Do they explain why the marriage falls apart? No, it's not dealt with at all in the first issue. And, and this is like new 52 stuff. So for all I know, (laughs) everything's been retconned out of existence. I have no idea. All I know is he's single and coming out of a bad relationship and, uh, still like beating people up and killing them and stuff because they're bad. Um, and has a computer in his head. Actually, the the theme of my last couple months of comic reading has been revisiting. It's sort of like what Tony said about you. You get new issues and you have to read the old issues again. Um, I did that with Saga. It turned out that there were about eight issues of Saga that I had just let sit because I kind of got Saga'd out after a while. And so I went back to the beginning and I read all of Saga and then read the last year's worth of issues that I hadn't read. And it was really enjoyable. I think I found my love of, of Brian K. Vaughan's Saga and Fiona Staples Saga again after putting... I, I kind of overdosed on it. So I, I put it aside for, for like a year. Was it where, where you left it? Because that's that's where things always are. Yeah. Last place you <laughs> Yeah. I just put it on, you know... Well, no, I wasn't. I had mm-hmm. to start from the beginning again because I totally lost. I literally could not remember where I even left off. It's It is always the last place you look, though. And then uh, similarly and more pointedly, Morning Glories, which I really like, but... Oh, I have that one. Did I cannot, that it, to you? It's so wildly complicated a story and it's convoluted and there's time travel and re time loops and just crazy stuff happens in morning glories. Um, and I, I read, uh, I inhaled like the first four trades or something. And then it's been like a year or so year or two. And I realized that I had no idea. I picked up one of the issues I hadn't read and realized I had no idea what was going on. So I went back to the beginning and read from the start all the way through the current issue, which is number mm-hmm. 49 and number 50 comes out in like a week or two. And it f- closes, it caps an arc and it's very exciting. And if you're a fan of, uh, I'd say Lost is the best analog. It's like Lost, the comic book, except set in a in a boarding school. But it is like lost it has stuff where you're like what just happened and is that time travel and it's (laughs) it's quite a thing so um if you're a fan of that kind of crazy twisting turning stuff morning glories um but i i did have to go back for both of those and really just start from the beginning and read them from scratch and it was a delight to do that because they're both good books all right i think we've reached the end of the comic book club how about that but that's okay because we'll all be reincarnated in 90 years and return to the comic book pantheon as no maybe that's i don't know if people will be reading comics in 90 years they'll just be beaming them to each other using uh their their brain implants beaming images to each other exactly right into their brains yeah animated images nellis yeah probably well i'd like to thank my panelists for joining me to read uh, and discuss uh, wicked and the divine that was a lot of fun uh shannon sutterth thanks for being here always a pleasure aline sims thank you Thank you. Tony Sindelar, may the Batman be with you. And with you. And Lisa Schmeiser, it's always a pleasure to do Comic Book Club with you. (laughs) That was great, Tony. Yes. Oh, (laughs) I had a great time. Thank you. And um, hey, may Batman be with all of you out there. Right, Tony? Right? He is. (laughs) I don't know. I'm I'm more into Supergirl and the Flash at this point. It doesn't matter if it's dark. He's there. You're always within like five feet of Batman. He's just always nearby. Just You can't see him, but he's there. I want the footprints art where you're walking on a beach. And then when you look, there's only one set of footprints, but there's also the cape line behind them that that, that gently erases them as they go. (laughs) Batman is always with us. Uh, Thanks, everybody out there for listening. We will see you next time. Bye.